have you ever felt like you won, but you also uh, you lost? So you, you really won, like you might say um, something like, uh, for me, my uh, sister, she's younger than me, maybe five years younger, and if I beat her at anything, yes, I won, but still, you kind of feel like you lost. She's five years younger than you. You can beat her at basketball, yeah, you won, or bowling, or tennis, or ping pong, or whatever. Yeah, I won, but really, like, did you win, though? You kind of feel like it's not that big of a win. Maybe, uh, maybe you felt this way before. If you've ever been in an argument with uh, your spouse or a friend, and you feel like you won that argument, and then later you're kind of like, did I really win? Did I win? Like when you're sleeping on the couch, you're thinking, did I did I win? What exactly did I win? Or when you pull up to the pump, this is so recent for me, maybe for you, and it's like 50 cents cheaper than it was last week, but then you're like, wait, but it's like still $2 more than I really like to pay, right? You're like, yeah, I'm winning, and then you're uh, kind of winning. I mean, kind of winning. That's sort of how we find ourselves uh, right now as Christians, and this is maybe the same sort of position that those who Peter is writing to found themselves. For us, just six weeks ago, Roe versus Wade is overturned by the Supreme Court, and so many Christians are like, yeah. And then you look around, and you're like, but there are some Christians that are not like, yeah. And then you look around, and at work, no one's really cheering. And it's all for different reasons everywhere, right? But for a Christian, we, we might feel like, man, we made a win for life but then there might be that person who had one of those special exceptions that's now gone. So it kind of feels like a loss to them. This also has happened uh, more recently here, just in our church body specifically. We have these beautiful decorations for VBS. Thank you, Ashley and decorating team. Amazing. These, uh, as you may note, and you may not, are the colors of the spark theme of VBS. But in the month of June... Some people might conflate this with Pride Month and say, does Georgetown Christian support LGBTQ plus stuff? This is crazy. Well, if you're here for VBS, of course, you knew that wasn't true. But VBS is over. So if somebody new came in the door, they might be like, what's going on here? So it's like this great big win where we can say like, man, VBS was amazing. Not just the decorations, but everything about VBS was amazing. And then you have this little thorn in the side that's like, we kind of have to explain that now. Somebody may come in and say, do you guys support that? Are you guys pro-LGBTQ+. And if you were to browse to our website, you would see that, of course, we're not. We affirm God's plan for marriage. God, God really is the first one to use the rainbow, right? So we'll well, just together as Georgetown Christian, can we together just agree like the rainbow is God's, amen? The rainbow <laughs> belongs to the Lord. The rainbow is his, his unending promise. We see it in the sky, and it's his covenant with us to never flood the earth again. Some of you are saying, wait a second, my basement's wet. To never destroy the earth by flood again. The rainbow belongs to the Lord, and marriage we believe, is as it's defined in Scripture. One man and one woman for the purpose of companionship, for the purpose of procreation, for the very difficult task of parenting, and for creating a family 
where kids and hopefully our community can see a relationship, a microcosm, Paul says, of Paul and the church. I want to be very clear that I appreciate there was at least one person who spoke directly to a pastor or an elder because they were concerned that that might be misconstrued. So don't ever hear me saying, shh, don't talk about that. That was very helpful communication. It was, in fact, thought of before we put this up because of Ashley and her team's very thoughtful planning. She asked about that, and I personally said, go, Ashley! So, and then we come and find ourselves in this little moment here where, uh, back to Peter, so let's bring this back to the, the struggle that we find ourselves in as Christians is that we know the truth, and we have this this community that we live in, not this specific community that meets inside these walls. We have this wider community, town, state, where maybe they don't know or accept the truth that we do. But we know that that truth is not just true, but that truth is transformative to our hearts and lives. So we're stuck in this, this kind of a spot where a, a win for our faith may feel kind of like a loss for those who we interact with in our culture, maybe even some other Christians who don't see things the same way that we see them. But we're then necessarily stuck in this time where we feel out of place. And what would Peter call us then? What did Peter in verse 1, what did he call us? Elect exiles. Everybody say it with me. Elect exiles. Because we're not from here. So we're in this really tight spot. So I want to talk about what a Christian is supposed to do when the culture wants to call a sin righteous, and they want to call the lie a truth. And I think Peter addresses that in 1 Peter chapter 2, will be in verses 9, 10, 11, 12. Um, and we're going to start in, um, actually, just go, let's go ahead and start in chapter 9. I know I skipped a slide, didn't I, Michelle? <laughs> All right, so 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 9. I'll read if you would follow along with me, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So I just want to make three quick notes here, and we're going to have to fix the stage because I want to stand there really bad, and there's like a hole, so that's why that's there. Okay. So let's make uh, three quick observations that Peter's talking to a group, and he's named this group three different things. He's named us a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. So if I did actually have the full 80 minutes today, we could probably spend it just on priesthood, maybe even on royal. We are not going to do that. That might be more appropriate in an elective, but let's address those three really quick, uh, a chosen people. So a group of people is like a plurality. You guys all know that. Paul talks about us, the church, as a body with lots of parts. And uh, if Paul was writing in like a week or two, he would say, you can't all be quarterbacks. Uh, even if you were all quarterbacks, uh, you'd be a terrible team because you're just not all going to be quarterbacks. You're never going to score. You're like a totally dysfunctional team. So what kind of people then does uh, Peter call us? He calls us chosen. So how many of you have uh, ever played a game where people have to pick teams, you get a captain and a captain, and then you've got the row of, you know, like players, and initially you've got all of them, and later you've got maybe not 
you know, so many of the awesome ones. So how does it feel to be picked last? Some of you know that feeling, right? If we were talking about baseball, I would be picked uh, definitely last. Zero experience. My experience in baseball was, um, I think, in Little League, I picked a lot of dandelions and laid on my glove. I hated the sport. But how does it feel to be picked first? Some of you, some of you maybe don't know, and I can identify with you. But it feels great to be chosen. It feels so good to be chosen. Maybe for some of us that was an experience in a classroom where we're chosen by a teacher to be the one that reads or writes on the chalkboard. The experience of being chosen lets us know that we're worth something. God chooses us, and we sometimes don't focus on the fact that we're chosen. We focus on the pain that we're suffering. We focus on the difficulty we're living through. But we're a chosen people. We're a royal priesthood. Uh, the priests of the Old Covenant had a whole bunch of duties. Um, I'll just talk about two of them, and I'd like to summarize it this way. The priests of the Old Covenant were responsible for mediating the relationship between man and God. And they did that through leading praise and teaching, and you would call that mediating the relationship through worship. And they did that through sacrifice. So now Jesus has taken care of that. Uh, see Hebrews? Jesus has taken care of all of that. There's no more sacrifice for us to make in the terms of the blood of a lamb. Jesus' perfect sacrifice covered that. So we're now called a royal priesthood. So then what might we mediate? We're called ambassadors. We're mediating that hope. If that hope is indeed alive in us, then we're mediating between God and man when we share the hope that we have in our Lord and Savior. So uh, finally, I want to talk about holy nation, and then we'll move on to uh, a pair of action points. So a holy nation, uh, and this right here, because we live in America, how interesting, uh, Jerry, that you talked about reconciliation and the work that goes on in four different churches with so many nations. Uh, I don't have to tell any of you that when you live in America, you tend to think America's pretty great. Put me on the list. Think it's great. We also then tend to think of a lot of things through our own lens. But let's remember Peter is writing this to um, a, a whole group. Just see verse 1. See chapter 1, verse 1. Who's he writing it to? He's writing it to a whole bunch of provinces of Rome. So clearly this is not about America. What on earth could he possibly mean? Across, then this is what I would, I would say he means. Across cultures, uh, continents, centuries, that God has called this. He's chosen this group of people. He's made them mediators of his love and hope. And he's calling us a nation, like a group of people that are his own. So Peter says, without saying, your identity is critical, Peter says, we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Peter has just identified us, and he is, by the manner of his writing, I believe, saying our identity matters. And insofar as Christians, if we allow identity to be, uh, allow me to revisit pride for a moment, if we allow identity to become a conversation about a sexual preference, we've entirely broken God's creation at a fundamental level. 
I am not saying go peep people over the head with that. I am saying as Christians, we have to agree that our identity is exclusively in Christ. And that truth is for heterosexuals as well as homosexuals. That is the truth. And we have to live that way. So here's what I think it looks like then. According to Peter in chapter 2, he's trying to help the church through what for them is a cultural difficulty. For us right now, pretty grave cultural difficulties. Our culture loves to call sin righteousness and lies truth. We are exiles. That's why it feels weird when you have anything rainbow-related, even though it's the Lord's rainbow, during the month of June. That's why it feels weird to celebrate life when Roe versus Wade is overturned, because we're exiles. So as exiles, Peter expected that we would feel out of place. Consequently, he's given us an action step or two. He's given us a purpose for the church. So let's go to uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. The second part here, uh, that, and these are like action points, right? Like things we do, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Don't skip ahead yet. We'll get to it, I promise. But proclaim what? So it, if I asked you right now, like here's a microphone, Proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. What would you say? What if I started calling out names and said, come on up here, form a line. Proclaim his excellencies. If you're anything like me, it's going to take you a minute because that's challenging. You're on the spot. You're like literally in a spotlight now and you're holding a microphone. And what are you supposed to say? I think that begs the point, and Peter answers it in chapter 3. If you want to flip there, we'll have it on the screen as well. Chapter 3, verse 15. In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Our, uh, many of our men have been to the men's breakfast, and of course it's great for the food, but it's also great because it's what I believe Doug and Jeff would call, our men's group leaders, a testimony training ground for our men. It's a testimony training ground because almost every man in that room now has been up front at one point proclaiming the excellencies of him who brought him out of darkness into the light. Before the man can do that, though, he's got a lot to do because it's difficult to get up and share that right away. Sometimes not so much because you have a microphone or because you're in front of people, but because it requires reflection. See, our, our proclamation, can we go back to 1 Peter chapter 2? Our proclamation requires reflection. Before we're uh, able to proclaim something, we have to know it more than just here. It has to be a reality that lives in our hearts before we can share that with our community of faith, with our greater community. So I believe that proclamation 
requires reflection. My first response, like, what kind of mercy am I going to, what kind of mercy am I going to proclaim? I just tried to put myself in your shoes. What am I going to proclaim? Well, God saved me, and that would be worth proclaiming, would it not? So some follow-up questions might be, what has he saved you from? What has he saved you to? In other words, what kind of work has he given you to do? Are you doing it? How's it going? How do you increasingly place your trust in him as, man, things are not going like you thought they would go? How does your faith grow when you suffer? I think verse 10 might help us out. Once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So there's another thing to talk. You can proclaim the mercy you've received. Some of you are sitting there like a little bit of a bump on a log, but if I asked your spouse, does your husband or wife need some mercy? They'd be like, yes, uh uh-huh, they sure do. And then if you were to ask my kids, does your dad need mercy? They would be like, from what? Well, like, does your dad ever need forgiveness for something he might have said or done? Oh, definitely, yes, for sure, my dad needs that. And so if you're like me, you know uh, as a real-life experience that God's mercies are new every morning. So there's something we can pay attention to. We can proclaim the merciful way that God has, has sent a husband or a wife or a child or a friend or a brother in Christ to show us the way that God has been merciful to us, to maybe correct us from a, a path that we were pursuing that was leading to death instead of life. We'll be able to proclaim His mercies if we're willing to reflect on those mercies. So I'm curious now, uh, if we're a, a defined group of people, if we're a nation, a royal priesthood, if we're chosen, then in the face of a culture that's co-opted one of God's covenant symbols, the rainbow, in the face of a culture that used to celebrate death and is now sort of fighting back to be able to murder children again, how should Christians live? How should Christians respond in both in both truth and love. I believe it looks a little bit like a little bit like sharing the mercy that God has given us. I believe it looks like us proclaiming what he's done in our lives. I believe it looks like you know what Peter says something else. Verse 12. What else does it look like? It's not just proclaiming. What does it say in verse 12? Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. I'm going to have you read with me just a second. So that when they speak against you as evildoers, now I'd like you guys to read with me, they may see your good deeds, and then what's the result? And glorify God on the day of visitation. So the result isn't we get to be recognized as something special, but God receives the glory that He's due because the work that was done in us was done by Him. Believer, our lives must be filled, and I am not saying that the rainbow suddenly becomes the churches and everybody lays it down next June. I am not saying you're going to go to work and people are going to cheer right along with you at the water cooler that our country's reaffirmed life. I'm not saying that. 
I am saying, however, that in an effort to proclaim love and truth, the hope that Christ offers us, it's critical, at least according to Peter, that we're proclaiming with our mouths and that we're doing with our lives things that show God has changed our lives entirely. We have to look more like fully devoted followers and less like everyday people. I'm with you in that struggle. You can ask my kids. You can maybe ask my wife. You can maybe ask your own spouse and kids. It's a struggle, but it's a struggle that God promised to always be with us through. He's indwelled us with His Holy Spirit. He helps us become holy. But Christians, the longer we want to grab a megaphone and say, gay is wrong, and the longer we want to say, choose life and you're a murderer, the less they're going to see God. However, the more that maybe along with statements that proclaim the truth that God's definition of marriage is the one that necessarily, I mean biologically, leads to life, and that life then is sacred because we're created in God's image, if that message, if you want to communicate that message like I do, our lives have to look like we've been changed into something brand new. And the only way to do that is to put your faith in Christ. So today, if, if you are not a member of this group we call the church, there's a Next Steps booth in the lobby. I invite you to visit. It's a great place to find out. What is my next step in faith? I need to become a person who looks more like they're exhibiting the fruits of the Spirit. Maybe I need to figure out what a fruit of the Spirit is and who is the Holy Spirit and how does that work in my Christian life. Maybe you need to find your way into a men's group or a women's group or an elective. And maybe you're not sure what your next step is, but you know that you have to be part of these people that are chosen they're elect exiles because together, friends together, we're on a journey of faith where we want to become more like Christ and consequently share his love with our community. That opportunity is at the Next Steps booth in the lobby. Do we have Aiden and Cassidy in the back wave if you're here? Not here. So maybe next service. Aiden and Cassidy joined our family of faith earlier this week. So we will give God all the glory for that. Welcome them when you see them. Uh, Cassidy, Aiden, uh, I will point them out to you next time we're up here. All right, let's pray. Our good Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for the gift of your church, your chosen people, your royal priesthood, your elect exiles, your holy nation. Father, we thank you that you give us this time to lift up your name and to open up your word and to find what did Peter believe that believers who are caught in a tough spot between proclaiming the truth in love in the face of a culture that doesn't believe truth anymore, that our words and our actions must be proclaiming your excellence. It must look like we are changed, and that we are made new by the power of your Holy Spirit. Father, that truth needs a place in my own heart that makes it practical this week. It needs a place where 
I have time to reflect so that I may proclaim. It needs a place where I examine my heart and life to say, are there any visible fruits of the Spirit? Are there any visible good deeds that show that I'm a believer and a follower? Father, I pray that you would show those each to us as we take the time to reflect on what you have done for each of us. Father, we pray this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.